Welcome to Principal of Hospitality. I'm your host as always, Sean DeVries. Thanks so much for tuning into this special episode, our summer series. Now, this is the second of four that we're going to be releasing over this special month. This one is with Julian Moosey, who is the co-founder of Only Hospitality Group here in Melbourne. Over 20 to 30 venues, some of the best cafes, bakeries, everything in between doing some fantastic work here in Melbourne. We got so much feedback about how everyone enjoyed this one, so we're re-releasing it. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Welcome to another Principle of Hospitality podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. Fantastic to have you listening along. The Only Hospitality Group is one of the premier hospitality groups in Victoria. Julian Moosey is the director of this amazing brand, which includes Bentwood, Glover Station, Mob at Camberwell, Clubhouse in Malvern, Electric Sunday, and heaps more, including Inglewood Coffee and Juliet Bakery. It's fantastic to talk to him today and really talk about how he has grown this business. Hey, Julian, how are you? Good, thanks, mate. Thanks for having me. Uh, absolutely fantastic to have you on, mate. Um, I have uh, watched you from afar for a long time, so it's really fantastic to have a chat. Um, if you can hear the background noise, we are actually in Bentwood in Fitzroy, which is a fantastic location. Um, absolutely beautiful. So, Julian, um, how did you start out in the industry, mate? started making coffee a long while back in, in Canberra when I was over there for footy and came came to Melbourne and was a personal trainer and and had a goal to open a cafe one day and but I knew that I'd just sort of save a bit of a kitty and we were doing coffee coffee carts at events, football grounds, mm-hmm. little, little athletics complexes and then, yeah, probably about 18 months in, I saved enough money and um, opened up my first venue in 2012 called Annoying Brother Espresso. Wow. Now, you, you actually come from a VFL background, right? Oh, I, I, I cop a bit of flack about this because my mates keep telling me, were you still running that story? Uh, now, look, I, I, um, I, I used to, footy was my, my life and my dream when I was a young fellow, not too dissimilar to a lot of young boys running around and girls now. Um, mm-hmm. But um, yeah, obviously that dream was, to, you know, to, to play footy. And yeah, I was on a VFL list for a few years. Um, Pat was very injury prone, mm-hmm. so that didn't last too long. And I was very realistic about where um, where I was at. So um, I knew that I had to get serious outside of footy and, and that's really where the you know, the um, side on the career of coffee and, and um, cafes and hospitality. Yeah. Um, that's where it started. So when when you first opened, you know, that first venue back in 2012, like what was surprising for you when you opened it? Like I'm sure you, mu- you must have been, you know, playing footy along and then you decided all of a sudden you want to do this coffee venue. What was the biggest surprise when you came into it and started running it yourself? Biggest surprise was probably how difficult it is, what it was, especially back then, to find, I'll say chefs in general. It was very difficult to find chefs back then. Yeah, right. It's, it's, we're actually going through a bit of a, a, a difficult time at the moment with COVID to, to find um, skilled chefs in Australia because of all the travel and um, visas being on hold and all that. Mm-hmm. So, But that was probably the biggest eye-opener was just to really settle the team down with you know, the, the skill set that I really wanted in, in the um, in the store. Mm-hmm. That was a really big eye-opener. Um, I remember, I, I think I cried on the first day I opened because of how, how you, know, I read, you know, I read a comment saying that um, if you're not embarrassed on day one, then you've opened too late. 
and I've always <laughs> operated like that. So I was embarrassed on day one looking back. Bloody hell. I, yeah, you cringe at the thought of what it was like back then, but yeah. you, you got to do it. And, and you know, I, I talk about, you know, banning perfection in the workplace because it, it, it's time-wasting and it stunts growth. So, yeah. and that's how I, how I operate. I, we, you know, we worked on the fly and, you know, a bit of self-preservation. Got, you know, we got through it and we, um, it became a really, really cute, cool fun consistent you know um local hero so yeah, right. um yeah it was it was good fun good memories so julian when you first did that first venue back in 2012 like how is that how is that different by the way you're opening venues now i mean you're you've got a lot of different venues across both here in victoria and also in queensland right so yeah, so uh, with that first one was it a lot smaller than what you're doing now and how did you sort of grow to that kind of level yeah, so it, it was um, that it was a really small venue. It was only probably twenty seats inside. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's funny because back then you probably think it's easier, the smaller, the smaller the easier. But it's actually it's it's not. Um, obviously, the it, the bigger the riskier. Yes. But um, they run a lot more efficiently and easier mm-hmm. um, when they're a bit bigger. There's like there's yeah, two. Right. I reckon there's probably two. There's too big, but there's too small. Yes. For, for table service venues, I think. Yeah. Um, I think it's because of the fact that you obviously you know labour benchmarks need to be um, performed to a level, mm-hmm. and um, I think you re- you rely on too few. So if mm-hmm. you have a person calling sick, it's really hard to replace them. Whereas yes. if you have a big team, you know mm. you can sort of go one one short for a day, mm-hmm. but you can't do that with a small venue. So that that time compared to you know now, obviously it's a lot more systematic now, and um, there's obviously always a back end of a of a business is um, a bit of a cookie cut a cookie cutter model. Yep. You know, so but it's a lot a lot different now, a lot more organised. We have like pretty much a you know a um, a, a tick the box type of setup to yep. from I suppose from leases to store opening day one yep. that we tick off. You know, the t- times have changed. It's, it's it's crazy what's happened in the hospitality industry from 2012 to now. Yeah. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah. I really want to talk about how you managed to do that checkbox system because when I look at your venues and especially the growth of your of only hospitality group in the last couple of years, I feel like there's a method, there's a definite method to how you're opening stores and how you're operating stores. Yeah. How did it get to a point in the business from you know the last nine years of having it that you decided that you needed a checkbox checkbox system in order to open these venues? So um, I suppose obviously great people and like organised people is, is a huge part of how we got to now. Yep. You know, people who are much more organised than me administratively, like I'm, that's not really my, I'm a bit, you know, I remember Nick Stone saying once that he was like an F1 car, sort of out of control <laughs> yes. around a corner one, uh, you know, he's talking about opening all these stores in the, in the US. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm kind of similar in that, in that regard. I'm not out of control, but like I do operate pretty... Um, quickly in terms of like from the lease point of view to yep. the construction and, and getting open. And, I, and it's really important for me, my personality, to have people behind me cleaning up a bit of my mess. You know, my wife, Christy Lee, um, who's, you know, um, she's, we've got two kids now, so her role's become a bit more, she works more so on projects now mm-hmm. as opposed to um, a particular role in the business. But um, she's been a huge a huge part of the organisation and, and those, box t- those box ticking type mm-hmm. of um, paperwork we have. And, you know, uh, along with uh, my, my, my brother-in-law's also a part of the business, uh, Christy Lee's brother, Stuart, um, mm-hmm. who's also the CFO. So yeah, right. he, um, he's, a big par- he's a big part of it, he's very organised. And then now, um, you know, we've got... Um, Tony Pantano, who's um, a partner of the business and general manager, um, former Bluestone Lane, used to work in the Dimitina Group. 
yeah, wow. back in the day. Um, and our executive chef, of course, Nikki Campbell, who's an absolute gun mm-hmm. um, operator, extremely business savvy, yeah. great with her. You know, a, a lot of I think a lot of chefs out there, I think, are pretty loose with numbers and. Yes. Um, I think operate a bit uh, irresponsibly sometimes with um, the sustainability for the business, mm-hmm. whereas she's very much, you know, uh, very organised with how um, we roll out our menus and, you know, labour costs and all that. So, yeah, it's a great team. We've, you know, we've got five core partners that are that are really crucial to how we do things um, yes. and have got us to a point now where it's super systematic and um, and organised. Was, was there a point in the business, obviously you talk about your wife there and your brother-in-law being part of the business, but... Was there, was there a number of venues that you got to and then you decided that you needed to actually, you know, uh, flex yeah. up a bit and get those proper people involved, like an amazing executive chef and, yep. and, and other people operationally in the business? Or was it just um, it was the right person at the right time and then you just took that risk to take that person on? Yes, yeah, so it was probably the second venue, mm-hmm. um, uh, which is Mob in Campbell. We've mm-hmm. had that now for since 2013. Wow. Um, so my first venue, Noin Brother, probably did like 500 grand revenue, thereabouts. Yes. Maybe a bit less even. And um, and then Mob, you know, in its first year, I think, did like, you know, um, about 1.8 or 2 mil, yeah. close to 2 mil in its first year. It was my second venue. I was 24 years old. So out of my depth. It's not funny, right? <laughs> so I um, I just, you know, like, it's where the Campbell market is. So like on a weekend, we've got 1,000 people in the venue. And yeah. I, uh, you know, I just was nowhere near capable, I don't think, of doing like I wasn't a machine I was a you know barista by I'm a barista by trade yeah that's my, my my role operationally when I worked in the venues mm-hmm. and it was just impossible for me to run the venue from the machine you know yep. and talking about payroll you know looking after the back end with uh you know um auditing the numbers the cost of goods of labor model every week I needed people to come on board so my brother-in-law was working he was a, one of my first ever employees with my brother-in-law um, wow. on the floor yep. and Chris Lee had a full-time job with L'Oreal or uh, GSK, I'm not sure which, which one it was at the time, and mm-hmm. she would work with us on weekends. And then Nikki, we met Nikki with the executive chef in the second venue. So wow. all the people sort of came all together mm-hmm. um, for the, in the second venue. Yes. And then that's sort of when things, you know, flourished and then we all started to, you know, see that the big picture was there, mm-hmm. that we had a really great model mm-hmm. that we could replicate over and over, which yeah. is um, – and, and thankfully everyone was on board and came along. So we and and here we are now, twenty six venues in, eight years later or nine years later. Does it does it scare you sometimes when you think about how many venues you actually have? I mean, that's an amazing success in nine years to have twenty six venues. Um, yeah. Like, obviously, that would excite you. Yeah, it is <laughs> but, exciting. Yeah, we were yeah. talking about grilled before off air, um, <laughs> and you know they've got over one hundred and fifty stores or something. So <laughs> I think I think uh, you know, of course, you know, it's um, I'm really proud of what it, what we've all all achieved, and mm. um, particularly because I wasn't a great, I wasn't wasn't great at school, or mm. you know, I dropped out of uni, you know. So and you know, like <clears throat> when I was at school, you know, no one really took me seriously. So. Yeah, I'm, I'm really proud of what we've all done. Um, but as I said, I, I, um, I knew we, I, I had it in me. Yeah. And, you know, talk about self-preservation and, um, you know, I, I think that uh, I really love the aspect of team. I played team sports when I was younger, mm. super inclusive. You know, I'm not greedy. Yes. And I lo- as I said, yeah, I love working with the team and mm. having people involved. And we've got, I think, like 11 or 12, I think maybe even more partners now that who have equity in the business. Yeah, right. There are five core partners, but we've got different venues with different operating partners, with all ex-staff, all ex-staff in the business, mm-hmm. all ex-staff who are now partners. So they're yes. still obviously um, employed but, um, by us. But, um, you know, so, yeah, of course I'm proud, but 
a long way to go, and I've got we got, we got big plans, and you know I'm super motivated to take it, take this a long way, and um, hopefully make it a generational business forever. Hopefully, yeah, yeah. I know you don't want to talk about football again, but I will talk about it one more time because <laughs> you talked about teams. Do you think do you think that time, you know, playing playing football, being part of football teams, actually benefited you in hospitality because you learnt about leadership? Uh, absolutely, yeah, one hundred percent. That's all I all I knew mm-hmm. going into this. Um, uh, all I knew was great football coaches who um, who got a team, you know, galvanised on the same page. Yeah. Um, and comparing them to the the, the the not so good coaches I had. Sure. Um, you know, Brendan Bolton was my coach at um, Box Hill, mm-hmm. and um, he then became Carlton coach, now director of coaching at Hawthorne, um, and I'm an unbelievable operator um, of people. Yes. And um, he was a hard ass, and I didn't really click with him. Um, Amazingly, when I mm. played at box, I was like, I was, I was quite intimidated by him. I look back now, I'm like, what the fuck were you intimidated for? Sorry, <laughs> excuse the French, but, no, it's, but funny. it's funny what happens when you when you be younger and you, and you think like that. You're like, oh, I was so scared when the coach walked in the room, and now I'm like, why? But that's yeah. just part of growing up. Yeah, sure. But he was a fantastic operator. Um, I just loved the 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 things that he used to say to get everyone thinking, and he was great at manipulating your mind and yeah, you know, getting you um, you know, seeing his vision. Um, so much so that. We have a leadership seminar next week for all of our leaders in the business and wow. I've asked him to be the guest speaker at it. So I got in touch with him last week and um, we we're hoping to get him in. And um, yeah, that's how, that's, so yeah, absolutely. absolutely the, the short way to answer is football um, is a big part of, that has shaped me, um, become a leader who I am. Yeah, definitely. How would, you, how would you describe how you lead your team? I think I can be better, of course. Everything, you yeah. know, you can always be better. Um, I think I, I was, uh, perhaps I was, I was a bit more... Uh, sometimes I have to remind myself to be a bit more aware yeah. and empathetic to my surroundings. Sometimes I mm-hmm. think I was really onto it early days. Yes, um, it's just harder now with you know, two hundred odd staff, and it's I need to remind myself now to, to be a bit more uh, you know present. And sure. with my family, my wife gets stuck in a bit about my phone and all that. And yeah, um, of course. Um, but uh, the type of leader I am, I think I'm personal, personable. But I get told sometimes that I can be, um, you know, from the, you know the some of my senior staff who I have a really strong rapport with, mm-hmm. they tell me sometimes that, you know, that the, this person, that maybe they're just intimidated. And I go, what what for? Yes. But, I'm like, but then I'm like, hang on a second. I went through this stage in my life where I was always intimidated by my coach or, right. you know, so mm-hmm. sometimes I need just, it's just a reminder that I need. But I think I'm, I, I'd, I'd like to think I'm personable. I'm good at putting my arm around a staff and being like, are you all right? You know, what's going on? Um, I think I'm I think I'm a good motivator. Mm-hmm. Um but I have poor attention sometimes. So, you know, they, they, look, I've got, there's definitely huge flaws in how I lead, but I think ultimately, I think I think I, uh, I do an okay job. And, um, you know, thankfully I've got really good people around me to keep me grounded and, and um, keep me focused. Yeah. I think you're obviously doing a sensational job if you've got 26 venues on the board. So I think Thanks, give yourself yeah. a little credit. <laughs> Thank you. Um, how, did, how did Inglewood Coffee start? Because... When we talk about Melbourne uh, in Australia and even internationally in the coffee scene, we talk about you know obviously the third wave coffee coming through. Um, when you d- when did you decide as a business to start producing your own coffee and, and having that underneath your brand? Yeah, um, it was actually yeah. So Corey Slater, who's um, my uh, partner in the business in Inglewood, um, he uh, we had a, a venue in Elston which which, which was since sold called mm-hmm. uh, Penta. Yes, and he was a partner in that. Um, and he was like, you know, I reckon we should roast. And we were, I think we were ro- we were doing about 300 kilos a week at that time across the venues. We only had five or six venues. And um, and uh, I was like, look, you know, 
we need to look at the numbers, blah, blah, blah. And then you know, it, all, it all stacked up. So mm -hmm. it started from that conversation. He went out and got, um, you know, did some training, you know, yep. vigorous training. Mm -hmm. um, probably took about six months to, of, uh, you know, work before we went live. Yes. But obviously vertical integration is a really, I think, a, a really important part of a business becoming super sustainable mm. and, and growing. Um, and it was obviously that you know, coffee is the biggest part. It was our biggest invoice ever. It was our, was our coffee supplier. Mm -hmm. So managing that supplier, supply became um, a huge step forward for us, and really was a real big fork in the road moment where yes. we got great momentum from that from that decision. So mm -hmm. you know it all stacked up. We wanted to make sure though, when we went to wholesale, that we had a point of difference, and that was obviously great coffee, mm -hmm. super super competitive. Um, but at a price point that allowed venues to be more profitable, yeah, because right. I felt like being a, being a having my cafe operator hat on, mm -hmm. I saw the margins and I saw what people were paying with coffee. And I'm like, if you're paying this much for coffee, that means you're paying this much for milk, this much for bread. All of a sudden, that your mindset and mentality to, to your buying is not great. Yes. Um, and I was like, let's let's be the example, be right, you know, priced correctly. Demand seven-day terms, mm -hmm. so we have, you know, so we become a wholesale. Flow. Yeah, mm -hmm. so our, so we have strictly seven-day terms. Doesn't matter how many kilos you do. Yeah, right. Um, which allows us to do great deals with our green supply, mm -hmm. which allows us to do great deals to our to our customers, our cafes, mm -hmm. and say so you can pay less because, you know, we're not giving you interest-free money in thirty-day terms or sixty-day terms. All of our customers pay seven-day terms which means we've got a really liquid wholesale business, yes. um, which is very different to our competitors. And I think that's why we've grown so aggressively. And you know, we've got 100 accounts now. We've only been going for two years, I reckon. Yeah, wow. Um, roasting up to six tonnes a week, um, without, including online. You know, it's, it's become our, one of our best performing entities under the um, umbrella. So I'm so happy we made the move to do it. Um, yeah. I, I, in fact, I, I'm annoyed that we didn't do it earlier. <laughs> <laughs> Everything's easier in hindsight. Isn't yeah, it, it is. It is. You've done some really impressive things the last 12 months, obviously, with Juliet um, Coffee and Bread coming on board and then and then Park Meats coming on board as yep. well. Like some really interesting projects. Like what made you decide you wanted to do that? Was that was that just a natural kind of pivot from doing a lot of amazing cafes in, in Victoria and Queensland or was it... Something you always wanted to um, do. Look, to be honest, when we opened our first Juliet, it was just about that Juliet location. And, you know, it was a small space, you know, 26 square metre footprint, 15 grand rent. You know, not much can go yeah. wrong. It was, it was the middle of COVID. Yes. And I didn't want to stop because I just wanted to make... Because life was very boring in the middle of COVID and mm. I didn't want staff to lose motivation. I wanted everyone to feel excited. And, and doing the Juliet for the first all created a really great excitement. It was something different. It was a, it was a baker, a bakery venue, you know, um, you know the mod bar. You know it was a really great theatre. You know as soon as you walked in, loud music. Yeah. Coffee's right there. You see these awesome coffee taps coming out of the bar. The idea was um, also about some of our best performing venues. Obviously got hit hardest, right? And um, I'm a big believer that people go to restaurants for for dinner mm -hmm. or long lunches. Yes. People go to cafes for breakfast and lunch. Yes. And and really convenient takeaway locations for a takeaway coffee. And you know our best dining venues have less takeaway than. Our best take, you know what I mean. Like yeah, some yeah, of our absolutely. some of our best, um, our you know um, best takeaway venues are our smallest footprint. Yes. So the idea was okay. So people can't go out for breakfast and lunch. Mm -hmm. Let's create a model that is known for just takeaway. So you know, I'm really glad we did it because obviously, um, you know, now that we know that we got the Juliet's, if we go back into lockdown and we're not supported by the government with the JobKeeper, yeah. we've got a great brand that we know will perform really strongly through COVID. Yes. Through through a lockdown, which we did. You know, for the sake of transparency, our Juliet uh, Mulvan store, which we opened in the middle of it, 
you know, we had 600 people a day through there for um, wow. every day for the whole of COVID five months. You know, it's come off a bit now because people are able to go out for lunch, breakfast and lunch. Yes. You know, but all of our venues are, are, are really busy. Um, Juliet's have come off a little bit, but, you know, it's important for us to have our dining venues busiest because they carry the, uh, you know, the, they're the, the most, uh, you know, overheads and all that. Yep. So, yep. but, um, you know, it was a really great move by the group and, mm-hmm. um, you know, like, it was a, the, the stroke of luck we needed, really, to, to push ahead. That's why we opened four, four more, really aggressively. Yeah. And then with Park again, you know, the, you hear that the best, the best performing industries during COVID were a grocer or a butcher. Yep. And your takeaway model like a bakery, etc. Mm-hmm. So that's why we opened Park Meats again. It's you know that just that um, that just in case model where if we go back to COVID, we've got a great grocer that people can come to. Yeah. Even when we were in lockdown. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think especially we saw that probably in America to our American listeners a lot, you know, the bodegas coming out in America yep. with cafes and restaurants and that kind of stuff. So when you did park, I was like, yeah, that makes a lot of fucking sense. Like, yep. I'm really, really impressed with what you're doing. Um, it's funny you say the word bodega. It's been a word that's been thrown around <laughs> a lot in the office because we're opening yes. up a general store soon. So, yeah, that was a, and that was the whole bodega type. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. It's a bit, of a bit of a cool word at the minute. Yeah, I love that word. It just sounds fun, doesn't it? It does, Going yeah. to the bodega. So. It does. <laughs> um, Obviously, all, all your venues sort of inner city like we are in Fitzroy here or slightly outer like Campbell and Malvern, as we talked about in the suburbs of Melbourne. Um, what do you sort of think about what's going to happen in, in CBD locations around the country, especially in places like Melbourne, which have been through such a hard lockdown, especially you've talked about JobKeeper coming off in the next couple of months. Like, are you seeing this as a time where you could actually take some CBD venues on and take that risk or are you can, going to continue to use the blueprint that you've been using in the last nine years? Well, look, you know, luckily we didn't have any CBD venues. Um, we yeah. had Bentwood's one kilometre from the CBD, Fitzroy, mm-hmm. and this was um, probably the worst affected venue um, yeah, of, right. our, of our portfolio. So, yes. you know, I can only imagine what's going on in the CBD, obviously. So, look, I think the CBD is going to come back, definitely. Yes. You can't abandon this, the, the cities all over the world. You just mm. can't do that. There's high-rises everywhere, you know. <laughs> There's people still there. <laughs> We've got, I think, and I think that yeah, there's some. I think no doubt that the you know the city of Melbourne will probably do free parking in the city and things yeah. like that to probably get some you know dinner traffic there and all that. But look, you're hearing things like offices will be repurposed as mm-hmm. residential and things like that. I don't think that'll happen. I think slowly but surely people will start making their way back to the, back to the city. Yes, no doubt. No doubt. You know, some businesses will, will work from home, mm-hmm. but you know. Um, a portion of their workforce will probably work from home yep. for a long time, maybe forever. But yes. I still think that ultimately the city will come back in full force. Might mm-hmm. be two years, three years, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not looking there just yet. You know, we're probably looking. Um, st- we've always been in the, in the, in the suburbs. Yep. Um, Southeastern's been really our our, um, our corridor that we've really focused on. We're st- certainly going to grow that. For the minute, we'll definitely look at the CBD. We've always wanted to get there eventually. Yes. And by pure luck, we haven't done it yet, you know. That was just luck, you know. We could have easily had five or ten stores in the city, and thankfully we haven't. We don't yeah, yet. But absolutely. Yeah. Look, I think we'll come back there. We'll look there eventually, not just yet. Um, and for the minute, for the minute, we'll just focus on on the suburbs for now. Yeah. Yeah. Is there a reason why you did follow like do the suburbs at the start? Was it was it a was it a rental aspect that you're looking for lower risk in the suburbs, or yep. was there an actual reason why? Um, there was. Oh, I suppose about what you know first. Um, yeah, sure. You know. You, you focus on what you know and the suburb where you're comfortable with. You take out one major element of risk. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so that's, that's where I grew up. All the suburbs that we, we firstly opened in, it was where I, I grew up in Hawthorne East. So Camberwell, yep. you know, Burke Road. 
and you say low rent's not really I mean I paid nearly 200 grand at mob so yeah true you know it's not really about rent but but some of our stores we own the freehold of mm-hmm. so in terms of capital I mean you're not we're not buying a, a, um, a, a shop front in the city um, very unlikely hopefully one day we, we can do that but um, we, we focus on um, you know suburban pockets where we could see real upside in you know repurposing the building into a cafe and yep. changing the use and all that stuff um, yeah it's more so just about um, focusing on where you know areas that I knew really well mm-hmm. um, you know and knowing the numbers the density you know I have a bit of a formula about density um, looking at the density per square kilometer right with uh, cafes per square kilometer yes and just doing a basic calculation and whether the, whether it stacks up from that end and yeah um, you know focusing on amenity you know is there supermarkets mm-hmm. um, you know train stations things like that they all come into conversation yeah because I, I want to go a bit deeper into that and how you pick sites because I'm sure you're flogged so many different sites every day that you could potentially go into. Yep. And if you really wanted to, you could have 100 sites right now based on the time you've been in business. And I credit you for not doing that and actually have um, a group of venues which have heart and soul and actually do the right thing by the industry. Um, so I'm, I'm really thankful to you doing that. Yep. You know what I mean? Um, but how do you pick a site? Because... Yep. Because in this next period of um, this year in 2021, I think there's going to be a period of opportunity, right, where brands that actually have brands that aren't what I call me too brands are going to have opportunity when um, places come up for lease. Yeah. So how are you going to pick your next sites moving forward? Is it a look and feel? Is it is it the, going into those sort of um, yeah. those demographics that you were talking about just then? Yeah, look and feel is really important. Like I think yeah. old facade buildings, like we've just we acquired Glover Station in the yeah. middle of um, of the pandemic. It's a beautiful site. That's a great site, and mm-hmm. um, you know we've always loved that venue internally. And you know I knew the owners quite well. We supplied them, and they were looking to move on. Yes, and uh, you know we were able to get a deal done there. And so a site like that, like it's a you know old Tudor revival mm-hmm. um, building, got so much character, so unique. You know, so you're already so far ahead of the of another of the next joint down the road on a on an old, on a sorry on a, on a plain Jane strata yep. development. You know, glass facade. You know, mm-hmm. that's just sterile and boring. So, yep. that's important. Um, you know, originally, yeah, it was about opportunity. So, I mean, with Bentwood, for example, it was a development. You know, mm-hmm. we got forty percent of the first term in, <clears throat> um, incentive. Yep. You know, so you're looking at you know three fifty odd thousand contribution. Yeah. So we took that, but we don't do we're not doing that really anymore. Like, mm. and that's a few reasons. I don't really want to work with developers anymore. I'd rather buy our own sites. Um, Does that just give you more control? Yeah, more control. And you know, the way those deals were done back then, they were suitable for us because sure. capital was everything. But now, because we're um, a bit more progressed now, we'd rather just be in control of the building and get the upside on the building ourselves. Yep. Um, and I feel like sometimes when you're at the bottom of developments, they, they, you know, they're, they're problematic sometimes with the, you know, who's above you. Uh, you can read between the lines in that comment. Yeah. <laughs> 100%. Yeah. I've um, dealt with uh, a lot of those people above me in different it, venues, so yeah. I completely understand. Yeah. Um, what do you think you're going to go to next? Because obviously we've talked about how you've got, you know, a bakery brand, how you've got a meat brand. You've got an amazing run of cafes. Like, are you looking to do, obviously, you've talked about general store. Yeah. Are you looking to expand something like that? Do you want to get into bars and restaurants? A bit like how Nathan Tolman took, you know, his three brunch venues and then has now moved into, like, Hazel and Zeus. Like, yep. do you want to do something like that or do you want to just uh, reprint? Um, look, I was restaurant trainer. I said before how I started. I um, My old man was in hospitality. Mm-hmm. 
But when I worked, I worked in his restaurant for like six months when I was finished school. I didn't really like it. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't into it. You know, my old man's a massive uh, mentor of mine, you know, get a lot of advice from him. And he's, I'm the youngest of six, so he's like 77 now. So, um, but he's, he's been a great, um, a great person to lean on. Yes. You know, my dad used to be, uh, before this restaurant, he used to have a lot of pubs. You yes. know, he went through a lot of, a bit of financial hurt in the uh, late 80s mm-hmm. and lost a lot of his venues during the recession. Yes. But one of my dreams is to buy one of the venues he used to own. Oh, so, that's cool. So that's what I'd really like to do. So we really got close to that actually just mm-hmm. before just before uh, COVID happened. Mm-hmm. You know, we nearly bought um, the now Smith. Oh, wow. Which was called the Edward Tavern back in the day. He used to own that. So, in Paran, the one in Paran. Yeah, yeah. It was yeah, nearly right. a done deal. It fell over last minute, which I was pretty flat about, but probably a good thing that it happened. Yes. Little things like that were really important to our how we went ahead in COVID because had we taken that, you know, it would have been a bit more difficult. Yes. Um, yeah. Big venue, pubs, you know, hit hard during, during COVID. But um, mm-hmm. so that's – I'd really like to have a pub one day, particularly one that he used to own. Yeah. So, you know, I know all the ones that he used to own and I'm always looking at them for the right time. But, um, look, yeah, I think a pub excites me. Yes. With a restaurant, with a good, great bistro, like, yep. you know, being restaurant trained, I'd love to do that one day. Mm-hmm. But um, the reality is um, coffee is in my blood and coffee's been really good to me. Yeah. And we've got a coffee roastery. So growing a coffee portfolio is a number one focus. Yes. Um, but diversification is really important to me as well. Um, and I think as a hospitality group, only hospitality, I, mm. you know, where, um, you know, if it's hospitality, we're looking at it. So, um, yeah. yeah, I mean, we'll see what happens. But um, at the moment, focused, focused on coffee, focused on our, on our model, but always looking um, at opportunities. Yeah. Do you want to talk a bit about the general store and what are you planning with that, yeah. if you can? Yeah. So uh, we, uh, we just bought a building um, actually out in Vermont. So mm-hmm. a lot of people go, what, you know, out in Vermont. But Vermont's a great suburb, you know, million-dollar uh, median house price suburb, which we yeah. look at. We yeah. look at those median house price suburbs because generally that means that there's great young demographics creeping into the area. Right. Um, young professionals. So, yes. um, yeah, we bought an old, old milk bar site in Vermont, which we settled on, settled on last Friday, um, and that'll be a general store cafe. Food and it would be a, be a full breakfast, lunch cafe, but a general store type vibe. Mm-hmm. Um, again, like that's that, making sure that it's co- like got that COVID-proof model. Yes. And at the front, if we ever got shut down, it looks like a take like can be operated as a really successful takeaway venue. Yep. Um, you know, corner site, old milk bar. And, you know, milk bars were in position for a reason back in the day. Yes, they were in convenient absolutely. locations. You know, I really like milk bar. I really like milk bar. That's my thing. I can uh, see that. Yeah, so I've opened a couple <laughs> couple of old milk bar cafes. Yeah, well, yeah. Stanley and Mount Waverley's a great venue. I went there last week for the first time in a few months and mm. when I walked in there, I just I felt great energy in there and mm. really local. Like, it's a really busy site for being in the back streets of Mount Waverley. Um it's just got a great heartbeat, and I think you can you can, you can create these awesome atmo- atmospheres in the back streets. Um, you know, it helps that we've got a bit of a, 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 a in, like a following on social media now. Yeah. You know, I feel really comfortable at, comfortable about setting up on random side streets because of our our social media presence. Yes. You know, it's some people might consider it risky. We can we consider it an opportunity. So, mm. yeah. So the general store, it's just more so an, a, a progression of the, the the milk bar type venues we're we're operating. I kind of get the feeling, Julian, like you're speaking of your dad and you're talking about these, these milk bar sites that you're trying to stand up and, and doing so successfully. Do you, do you almost feel like it's a duty or a responsibility of yourself to, do, to bring these sites back to life and bring some heritage back to areas? Yeah, I, I, mean, I love it. I absolutely love building a place from the ground up. Um, yeah, that's really cool. And I love the idea of, um, you know, repurposing or um, 
you know, uh, yeah, fit, like we don't even knock them down really. Like even Stanley, we we spent about five or six hundred grand on on on, um, on that fit out, and mm-hmm. we still, but we didn't really touch the old brickwork. We cut in new mm-hmm. windows and glazing and what it was to now. Like if you look on the online and the old what it was you know five years ago to what it is now, it's pretty cool. And yeah, looking back, the before and after photos is is really exciting and mm-hmm. really makes us proud. And I yeah, I feel like great sense of achievement when we open up an old shop front mm-hmm. um in a you know sleepy street and and um activated i i really it really excites me and i love construction i love architecture i love design and um you know yeah it's, it excites me every day and I, I really get excited and bounce out of bed when we're, we've got a, a a few sites live um in construction yeah i can definitely see that mate um i wanted to ask you a bit more about your team if i can I noticed a post um, that your team put up um, around Christmas time. Um, it was like it was like them like, or like a schoolyard kind of picture, right? Yeah, yeah. And I thought, <laughs> and this is when we were starting to talk about, you know, yeah. uh, potentially getting you on the podcast. And I was like, fucking hell, like that is so impressive that they did that for you. And obviously, you know, your wife's involved and, and your family's involved in this. Like, how did you, how do you create that? That was you know? cool. Yeah, that was an awesome gift. Hey, so mm. um, yeah, it was a photo of um, every venue, every venue's partners were in a photo, and then we had one big only hospitality partners photo. Yes, <clears throat> and it was framed. Yeah, we we all got it for each other. So a few of the guys in the office organised it, and wow, uh, it was bloody awesome to, to to get that. So that was that was a real, and it's particularly after the year we had. Yeah, of course. Uh, it was just really nice to reflect for a moment of what all the places we opened, and just and then just have the team together for those that photo shoot. And my wife's a great driving force. She organised the photo shoot, and mm-hmm. you know it's it's just an hour out of out of a hour out of a hectic day. Yes, um, but it was a bit of fun. Yes, um, the photo shoot was awesome fun. <laughs> um, you know, and look, that's how do we um, you know create that culture? I mean, my wife Christian Lee is really really sentimental, and um, so remembers everyone's birthday. Yeah, she's always buying gifts for people. Mm-hmm. She just always remembers to do nice things for people. And it's that connector. Um, yeah. yeah. So she, she, I have to say that she's a massive driving force. Um, in in that having that in our culture, um, and you know it's good for me because it reminds me to be more thoughtful and mm. I certainly appreciate um, what she's done. But yeah, we got a great crew and um, you know that was a that was, that was a the photos was hilarious. There's some really dumb yes. ones where we're taking speckies on top of each other. And, but yeah, that was it was a great gift and something we'll cherish forever. That that photo frame is really nice. Yeah, that's cool. Um, <clears throat> my last question to you, Julian, before I let you go is. Um, what are you looking forward to most in 2021? Um, Both personally and for the business. Personally, I've got two kids. Uh, we just bought a beach house, so yeah. um, you know I'm really looking forward to spending more time with them mm-hmm. down in Sorrento. And and we've just it's been so nice. We've been there a lot over over Christmas, and um, so spending a lot of time with them down there really excites me in 2021. Yeah, um, I just feel like my life just slows down a bit when I'm down there. Yeah, <clears throat> it's a really kid friendly house as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, all, all on one level, which is which is really – it's great for the grandparents, great for the kids. Yeah, it's a good point. Um, so um, I'm really looking forward to spending more time down there, mm-hmm. watching them grow up, of course. Hopefully yeah. maybe maybe more kids on the horizon. <laughs> See? It's good to hear. Uh, yeah, and, um, and uh, for the business, um, you know, we've got some goals that we want to achieve this year, but I'm looking forward – we've got a couple of stores opening up, hopefully, hopefully in the next sort of two months, mm-hmm. um, you know, creating more opportunity for our employees yeah. – um, Hopefully a few more partners being added. Yeah, really, really looking forward to, to seeing what opportunities are created um, this year for our team. Mm-hmm. And that's really exciting. And that's, um, that's something that really, um, I think, excites everyone. 
is, yeah. is what's coming this year and what opportunities are going to evolve from, from what's coming. Yeah, it's just really <laughs> obvious you're building something really special. So um, well done on all the success, mate. It's thanks, um, mate. Appreciate really it. exciting. Julian, thanks so much for joining me on today's podcast. What's the best way that people can connect with you and learn more about the businesses that you have? Um, I'm super accessible. Um, <laughs> very uh, good on Instagram. I have noticed that. Oh, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> people get annoyed about the, the pranks I play on people. But um, look, emails available. Um, always happy to talk to people. And, mm-hmm. you know, whether it be through uh, social media on Instagram, I, I, I respond to every single message I get on Instagram, yeah. um, you know, from and created some great relationships from random messages from, mm-hmm. from people and, you know, employee people have come on board um our team via instagram so yeah, right. if you want to chat yeah my email julian at ingledcoffeeroses.com.au mm-hmm. um or, or via instagram or linkedin whatever whichever yeah. way is easiest but i'm always willing to chat and talk about things and yeah love having a chat i'll always uh make sure i link that up in the show notes so everyone can connect with you julian julian thanks so much for your time thanks a lot thanks for having me cheers